Let's open the Word of God to Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. Now in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching of the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and wisdom, and will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and many, and a great many priests became obedient to the faith. Amen. When I was 13 years old, I went to a Christian camp and met Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Now, by the time I was 14, I totally forgot about Jesus. But when I was 13 and I first met Jesus, I was excited, wanted to do something great for Jesus, wanted to serve him with my life, and I thought about many ways I could do that. And I remember my mom, my Korean-American immigrant mom, talking about the famous theologian, Albert Schweizer. Probably she talked about him because he had nine PhDs. He was a medical doctor. He was awesome in Oregon. So all the, the fantasy dreams of a Korean-American parent. And he was a missionary. And he was a missionary in Africa. So I thought, what can I do to be a great Christian for Jesus? How can I serve him? I'll be a missionary in Africa. But what can I do in Africa? And I love playing sports. I love playing basketball and football. I know it doesn't look like it because I'm a short guy. But I loved playing sports. And so I thought to myself, I love basketball. And I can go teach basketball to the pygmies of Africa. Because they're all short. And I'd be the Shaquille O'Neal of the pygmies. And I'd do a basketball ministry, and that would be a great way to share the gospel of Jesus. What a great way to serve Jesus. But then in my dream, I thought to myself that after years of ministering to the pygmies through basketball, the, the pygmies who never turned Christians would get angry at me for dugging on them all the time because we'd only use a six-foot court. And then pygmies 
are also known for eating human beings. So I had this fantasy that one night they would come and attack me and tie me up to a stick and they would boil water and they would turn me upside down with my Bible in my hand and they would be dropping me into a cauldron, cauldron of hot water. They'd be making Danny Kwan soup. And all the while, while they'd be dropping me into the pot of water, I'd be screaming, praise Jesus. But then my fantasy didn't end there. I thought, in America, the President of the United States would hear about this missionary, Danny Kwan, who died for Jesus in Africa amongst the pygmies. And he would decide, today I declare, and he would make a statue 10 foot tall between the Lincoln Memorial and the Washington Monument. And it'd be a statue 10 foot tall of me. And it would say, Saint Danny Kwan. And people would come from all over and parents would line up and be like, Oh, little Johnny, take your picture next to St. Danny Kwan, the statue. And people would come from all over and make a statue and take pictures of St. Danny Kwan. What a great way to serve the Lord. That's what it meant for me as a 13-year-old to be a great Christian. Years later, I came across this passage in Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. And what's going on here is that the Hellenist Jews are complaining that their widows are being neglected in the distribution of food. And they're com complaining to the Hebraic Jews. And so the disciples get together with the greater disciples, and they try, they decide to choose seven among them to do the distribution of bread because the 12 disciples were too busy preaching and teaching. Now, I don't know about you, but selfishly, I think being a great Christian would be preaching and praying for people. And that's what I'd rather do. I wouldn't want to do the dirty work of waiting on tables and cleaning up tables and washing dishes and, and having to serve many people and prepare food. And then looking closer at this passage, you notice this man named Stephen. It says in verse 5, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, when they chose these seven, it says, we will choose from among you people full of spirit and wisdom and of good reputation. 
And they laid their hands on them. And they commissioned them. I want you to think about that. The qualifications for being a waiter was to have a good reputation, full of spirit, full of wisdom. And they laid their hands on them. And especially, as Acts 6 points out, a man named Stephen. Stephen is known for being the first martyr of God. He was stoned. And in Acts chapter 7, which I think is a beautiful, romantic, yet tragic scene, he looks up to heaven and he proclaims that he sees Jesus and then he's stoned to death as Paul, who was Saul at the time, looks on. But before he is known to be the first martyr for Jesus, and a gate in Jerusalem is named Stephen's Gate. He doesn't have a statue of him, but he has a gate in Jerusalem named Stephen's Gate where he was supposedly dragged out for proclaiming his faith. But before he was the first martyr, before he had a, a gate named after him in honor of him and his testimony for Jesus, he was the first waiter. For God. So think about this. Why is the qualifications for a waiter to be full of spirit and full of wisdom? That might be somebody like your pastor. Why do they lay their hands on him like we do our beloved missionaries when we commission them to the mission field. I mean, could you imagine in Acts chapter 6, they gather these seven and they pray for them. They lay their hands on them and say, in the name of Jesus, I send you forth to be a waiter for God. And your qualifications were to be full of spirit and wisdom and good reputation. The same qualifications of a preacher. I think they understood something in Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. The early Christians teach us something that you and I need to understand. They understood a secret. A secret that Paul expresses in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul wrote this passage to the church in Corinth because there was a controversy about meat sacrificed to idols. And if a non-Christian offered it to you, should you eat it or not? But if someone told you it was used for idol worship, should you eat it or not? And 
they were debating, not sure what to do. And I think Paul's just telling them, shut up. That's in my interpretation. Whether you eat it or don't eat it, whether you drink or don't drink, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It's not what you do that's necessarily important, but how you do it for the glory of God. It's not what you do, but how you do it. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And going back to Acts chapter 6, our passage today, I believe the New Testament early church believers understood that whether you're a preacher, a teacher, a pray, prayer pastor, or whether you're a waiter, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, it's not what you do, but how you do it. That's what it means to serve the Lord and be a great Christian. That's why the qualifications for a waiter were the same as the qualifications for the pastors and preachers. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It's not what you do, but how you do it for the glory of God. Now, in our modern-day culture, we have something that kind of expresses this truth. Many years ago, over 25 years ago, when my wife and I were engaged, we were about to share our first Christmas together. And so let's, we told each other, let's exchange a gift that was really meaningful and precious to us. And so I got my wife a little um, necklace charm that was very important from my college days. I was in a fraternity. Delta Chi, and in college, if you met the girl of your dreams, you had this little Delta Chi symbol, and your fraternity brothers would come and sing to the woman in candlelight at midnight, and you would give her this called lavalier necklace charm and be like, you're my woman. It was a beautiful candlelight ceremony, but I never met my wife in college, but I still held this lavalier that was precious to me, $25. You know, it was like, you know, you know, gold-plated. You know, you know, it was like something so precious to me, $25. You know, you know. But I wanted to give it to her, lavalier her, you know, have my brother, fraternity brothers come, sing to her at night, moonlight. They didn't come. I remember going to her house and it was wrapped up in my pocket and she was on the balcony and she came out with like 10 boxes, this huge box and like eight or nine other boxes and I was like, 
awesome. I'm like, oh no. And she came down. And I love playing sports, but I also love playing video game sports. And this is back in 1995, please, I'm dating myself here. And I opened it up, and it was the big box, it was Super Nintendo. And I opened up the smaller boxes, it was Madden 95. NHL 95, FIFA 95, MLB 95, you know, and all these sports games. And I was like, thank you, I love you, thank you. And she's like, where's mine? I'm like, oh no. So I gave her the box and, you know, my wife grew up as a pastor's daughter not very well off, didn't have much. And I know she always dreamt as a little girl, she told me that she could get diamond earrings. So when she got the box, she was very excited. <laughs> and I think she thought it was diamond earrings. And so you got to look at my face here because I remember she's like opening the box and she's like. <gasps> but in that moment, she said this profound statement that we all know in our culture. Danny, it's okay. No, that's not, it's okay. It's the thought that counts. <laughs> what you bought me stinks. But you bought it out of heart and your love. It's not what you do that's important, but how you do it. And the New Testament is filled with the examples illustrating Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7, that you and I as Christians must understand that the qualifications of being a waiter and a pastor were just as vital because whether you're a waiter or a preacher, it's not what you do as a Christian necessarily, but how you do it for the glory of God. For example, Paul talks about the body of Christ, how each member of the body of Christ, each of you is indispensable, even the weaker parts, that those with less honor are treated with special honor, whether you're the heart, whether you're the backbone, or whether you are the stomach. And I talk about my stomach because... When I was married, I was 240 pounds. My stomach was big. I'm only 135 now. My, now my stomach is really 
skinny and ugly, sorry. But you know, in my fantasy as a preacher, I always wished I was looked like Bruce Lee with that chiseled stomach. And if I looked like Bruce Lee, I always said that I would preach with my shirt off. And I'd be like, Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you. He saved you. And he resurrected for you. Ugh, you know. But my stomach has gone through changes. But it's always been a weaker, less honorable part of my body. From 220 pounds to two years ago, when I almost died, and I now weigh 135 pounds. And one of the elders at my church saw that I lost so much weight, and my clothes were like hanging on me like a drape. And so they said, Pastor Danny, here, take this check and go buy yourself some new clothes. You know, I expected a couple hundred dollars, maybe a hundred, two hundred dollars. And I opened up his envelope and his check, and for my ugly stomach, it was a check for $5,000 to buy new clothes. My stomach, the weaker, less honorable parts, treated with greater honor. It's not what part of the body you are, but how you do it for the glory of God. In Mark, Jesus tells the story of a woman who anoints him with a jar of perfume, and the onlookers are saying, what a waste, what a waste, what a waste. And Jesus says, it's not a waste. Her name will be remembered forever because what she did might seem like a waste, but how she did it to anoint Jesus for the glory of God. Paul talks to slaves. And he tells them being a slave is hard. But be a slave, not for your earthly master, but for your heavenly master. So your earthly master might know Jesus and you can be a testimony to Jesus. What you do, a slave is hard. But how you do it, can be for the glory of God. Whether you're a waiter or a preacher, each of you has roles and callings to live for the glory of God. Now, no one likes being a slave. I know when my wife and I were first married, I can remember on our honeymoon, one night we are about to go to sleep and she started making these noises. And she was thirsty. Now, her noises weren't that loud. I'm embarrassing her. Sounds like a horse, you know. <laughs> but I said, Miang, her name, Korean name is Miang. Are you thirsty? 
She's like, yes, I am. I'm like, okay, let me get you some water. Now, 25 years later, at night, when I hear her, are you thirsty? I am. Me too, go get me some water. <laughs> but she goes, gets me water. Doing it for the glory of God. You know, in all this, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It's not what you do, but how you do it for the glory of God. We see a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel message. When Jesus died on the cross, when he hung there and took our sins, he gave us a salvation based on not what we do. We did not have to earn our salvation. The gospel truth comes out to you and I that we are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God, not of our own works. In 2 Corinthians, Paul proclaims that we, that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Our salvation, hallelujah, is not based on what we do. We can't earn it. We will never be able to earn it. And no matter how sinful and unrighteous we are, Praise God that Jesus took our sin and gave us his salvation. Not based on what we do or didn't do. That today we are with unveiled faces beholding the glory of God and we are now being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You are the glory of God because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for you who took our sins, who saved us not based on what we do. That frees us and liberates us. That gives us this calling and transformation into the glory of God. So you and I can have freedom to know that it's not what we do. But to be a great Christian, how we do it for the glory of God.
You know, whenever I look at the praise team, I always look at the singer, the guitarist. And I always, when I was young, I always wanted to be a praise leader. I always thought, you know, if I could be like Bono, the praise leader, and sing, you know, you know, you know, you know. It looks so glorious, you know. I'd be like a rock star. But over the years, I realized that the most important part of the praise team, I think, is the PowerPoint clicker. Because it's not what you do, but how you do it for the glory of God. Whether you're a preacher or a waiter, your parenting can be for the glory of God. Again, we're not saved by our, our, our good works. We're not saved by our bad works. We're not saved by what we do. But through the work of Jesus, we've been transformed into the glory of God, into his righteousness. And so today, each one of you can live for the glory of God and how you do all things, small or big, missionary, pastor, preacher, waiter, is your calling for the glory of God. Your marriage. Parents, you'll like me saying this to your children. Your studying can be for the glory of God. Let me say this in the same sentence. Your video game playing can be a waste of time or can be for the glory of God. My second son, in early in his college years, was ranked in the top 20 in North American League of Legends. Now, I know that means it's like the difference between the Premier League of Soccer and North American Soccer, so it's not that great. But he considered for many years to be a professional video game player. And some people would think that's a, that's a call to knock some sense into them and tell them he's stupid. But we said to him, Noah, if you're going to do it for the glory of God and be a testimony to God, go ahead and do it. Matter of fact, being in a Korean church, I know that there are parents, when we invite students to our house, and I have three Nintendo Wii's, three Xboxes in our basement, you know, one for the students, one for my, my, my own sons, and one for me. <laughs> and they say, why do you play video games? Because we have fellowship through it. It's for the glory of God. All things can be for the glory of God. You're studying your life as God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the works that he's called you in advance to do. Ephesians 2.10, whether you're a waiter or a preacher. Tony Campolo, the well-known Baptist preacher and sociologist said, said this, stop repenting for the things you've done and shouldn't have done. 
and start repenting for the things you haven't done and should have done. What are those things you haven't done that should be done? Because you are called and are the glory of God. It's not what you do, but how you do it. Worship, welcoming newcomers, justice work, caring about racial reconciliation, just being a good mother or father, being an obedient child, studying for the glory of God, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I'm going to close with this last story. I serve at a Korean-American church in Philadelphia, a pretty large church. I've been there as the youth and family pastor for 28 years. There's a lot of interesting things about the Korean-American church that the culture and sociology mix in with the faith. My mom, about 15 years ago, you know, we have elders election. We're a Presbyterian church. We have election for ordained deacon. And in the Korean church, we have this one category called kwanzanim. I basically call them the old ladies of the church. I don't mean that in a, in a bad way, but they have elections for older women deaconesses. They're called kwanzanims. And about 15 years ago, she was up for election for Kwanzaanim. And so our church is pretty large, and that year she needed a certain percentage of votes. She needed like 825 votes, and she got 810. She just missed it. And I remember going home, my dad and us, and we're like, sorry, Mom. You didn't get it. We're sad for you. And she said, it's okay, Danny. I'll just serve the Lord faithfully. So 13 years ago, she was up again during the elder election and the deacon election and the Kwanzaanim election. She was up for it again. And this time she needed like 870 votes, our church grew. And she got 861 votes. She missed it by nine votes. And we're like, oh. And we went home. We said, sorry, Mom. Sorry. She's like, it's okay, Danny. I'll just serve the Lord faithfully. And then 11 years ago, she's up for the vote again. And this time, my brother and I were like, call the cousins, call all the cousins. <laughs> Tell them all to come to church. <laughs> yeah, yeah, call the nephews, nieces, everyone. What, 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 they're Hindu, it's okay, just, uh, just tell them to come. <laughs> just tell them to come vote, it's okay. Everybody come, everybody come. Vote for mom, vote for mom. She needed 865 votes. 
and she got 862 votes. She missed it by three votes. I'm like, oh, we even invited the Hindus. <laughs> sorry, Mom, sorry. It's okay, Danny. I'll just serve the Lord faithfully. And then nine years ago, we didn't invite the Hindus. We just played it straight up. And what happened? What do you think happened? Well, I wouldn't be telling you the story if she didn't become. <laughs> she finally got all the votes. And my dad was celebrating. We bought all this food. We had a big banquet at our house. My brother, my wife, we all got together. And we said, congratulations, congratulations, mom. You're a Kwanzanim. You're an old lady of the church. You know, great, awesome. And I remember she said, Danny, it's okay. I'll just serve the Lord faithfully. And I never forgot that. The same reaction. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, it can be all done for the glory of God. Whether you're a waiter or a preacher, a parent, a child, a student, your vocation, your career, will you repent for the things you should have done and you haven't done? Because it can be all done for the glory of God. Our freedom and our salvation in Christ calls us to a salvation not based on what we do. So let us all live as waiters for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for New Life Presbyterian Church. Lord, whether we're a preacher or a waiter, a parent, a child, our work, worship, marriage, parenting, being a child, studying, whatever we do, it's not what you do that's important, but how you do it. It could be all done for the glory of God, to honor him, to bring glory to his name. Lord, we thank you that our salvation is not based on what we do. And in our salvation, we are made righteous. We are made into the image of your glory. And that, Lord, in even the smallest things like being a waiter, being a preacher, Whatever we do, may we be empowered and encouraged to live for the glory of God. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.